Well, hello everybody. This is Jim Patton here. We're uh, back for another podcast. This is going to be the Ministry of Helps podcast number two. Uh, we're going to be bringing you again another uh, tape from Winky. And I do want to say something as I was listening to this tape and working on it today. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with cassette tapes, you young whippersnappers out there, uh, cassette tapes are not like digital recordings. They're recorded on a, a tape that has oxidation on it. And over time, that oxide will, will start to fall off and uh, degrade. And the quality was never uh, as good as what we would expect today anyway. So... Uh, if you're a real hardcore disciple and you want to learn, you're going to have to put up with these uh, tapes. We try to clean them up and make them sound as good as we can, but uh, that's about all we can do is uh, just clean them up a little bit and present them to you. The content is still there for you, uh, and uh, I just want to say about today's episode that if you're a new convert, if you're someone who really wants to be a disciple, this is a very important message for you Uh so many people today think that all you have to do is go down to an altar and say a prayer like, oh God, I'm sorry, forgive me and bless me and make me like you. And that's all there is to it. But if you really want to be someone who's going to go out and change your world, then this message is something that's going to have to uh, be taken to heart and something that could really change your life. So uh, get ready as we present Winky Prattney talking about restitution. First of all, we're going to talk about how you can show others that you are Christian in, in how to get right all these other areas as far as other people are concerned. In other words, how to be socially involved with your Christianity. Do you see what I mean? How to take this, this uh, power that you've had here with God and put it into society when you get back to school and back to home and back to work and other places. And that's what we're going to do on the first. In other words, some of you come up tonight, you made committals to God, and you've said, Lord Jesus, I want to serve you. I'm going to show you how, practically, now, uh, steps to take on each of these different areas, not all of them we'll cover, but we'll cover the main ones, of how to get those things right in those areas as you go back, and how to uh, set this up. The second part of the seminar, we're going to talk about revolution through, through rebuke, how to stop others from sinning in society, if you're a Christian. Uh, so, first of all, let me just throw you one little idea to keep in mind. Some of you have often come and made uh, trips to altars, and you've, you've really tried, you know that God has been speaking to you about your sin, and, uh, and yet you don't feel very heavy conviction. You know that God's called you, and so you kneel here and you sort of think, you sit here waiting for God to, uh, to uh, produce in you the right feelings of conviction. Now, this is not the right way for God to really deal with you in a convicting way. So if you want to really understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it, do not just kneel and try to feel guilty because it's impossible to create feelings directly. Now, I'll just give you a simple little test. I'm going to count to three, and at the end of three, I want you to feel terribly sad. One, two, three. You missed it, Craig. It's sad, not... <laughs> now... now you see, it is almost impossible to directly control feelings. You can go, <laughs> and then try, as you, you listen to yourself sounding idiotic, you're laughing, see, so you laugh yourself. But the way to feel is not to try to feel. The way to feel is to first of all use your choice to select a memory and remember and think. And as you think on this thing, out of that will come the correct feelings. So the way to be convicted over sin is not to sit down there and try to feel convicted, but to specifically think of what you have done to hurt somebody else or to hurt God and to say, Jesus, please show me now in this particular sin. Don't talk about sin generally. Talk about sin specifically. God, I have been bitter towards my dad. See? And I want you to show me just how much this has hurt you. And then just ask God to put back into your mind various times when you have shown this bitterness towards your dad or something. You know, I'm just taking one specific instance. Do you see that? And you won't have to kneel, my friend, more than one minute before you feel the flood of the power of the Holy Spirit and conviction. And you'll get what you're looking for. So that's the way to uh, properly uh, receive conviction from God. There, it's in three steps. You must see sin, then you must hate it as sin. And then you must forsake your sin. And when you've done that, you've truly repented. 
And by the way, until a sinner sees sin, and only the Holy Spirit can open his eyes to do that. You must pray, God, show this man his sin. Show it. Not, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to do it loud, though sometimes it might be effective. <laughs> but uh, you ought to be praying all the time as you're witnessing. Lord, hit him, hit him. See, that's what you're praying. You're asking the Lord to sort of come there and just cover him like this. So he suddenly feels the presence of God around him, and that really shakes him up. Amen. See? And when he's seen, when you see sin, then you've got to hate it as sin. Say, God, this is a hateful thing in your sight. I hate it. I don't want to ever do this thing again. See? And when you hate it, then you say, I forsake it. I turn my back on it. I'll never go back to that again. And my friend, when you go through this, you will repent. And then you'll find it easy to believe. But until you go through these honestly, until you really see sin, it will do you no good to sit there and just sort of think, oh yes, I suppose I'm sinful. And I believe in you, Jesus. That's going to do no, you no good at all. So that's the steps. And make sure the sinners really see repentance as, as those three steps. Now, moving on now to this area. This is revolution through restitution. You can call it revolution through restitution. And it involves confession and restitution. Now this is one of the most ah, Tiberius in the world because it's the hardest thing to do. It's easy to sit here maybe and, and say, oh yes, praise God, I'm going to serve God. But when you get back there to the nitty-gritty, back to your home, back to your family, back to your school, and you actually want to put your Christianity into practice, that's where it gets tough. Now, this sheet here is not the sort of sheet you'd like. This one here, plus that other one we gave out to you earlier, are not ones designed to make you feel overjoyed and happy and swing on chandeliers. They're a little like visits to the dentist. And I'd call this one a spiritual checkup. And if you feel like your life's messed up, then quickly go through this and, and maybe that other sheet and you'll soon see where. But the point of this tract that has been written to show you how to apologize not only to God but also to others. And I want to just make this uh, plain. Take, all of you get a copy of this sheet if you have to do some apologizing to others because this will show you basically how to do it. Now, first of all, with friends. If you have unsafe friends and you've become a Christian and you, you've been close to these friends, maybe part of your problem has been that you have been a crowd pleaser instead of a Christ pleaser. Where the crowd said one thing, you followed the crowd and when, when Jesus said something else. In other words, you would rather, you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't put it in this language, but if you are a people pleaser or a crowd pleaser and you ha used to have that problem before you came here to this camp, if it came to a choice between slapping somebody, slapping Christ in the face so that somebody else could slap you on the back and say, well, you're a good guy, you're with us. You would do that. You would slap him in the face. Or you wouldn't do it with your hand. You'd just do it by denying him when the pressure got tough. Now, for friends, for friends who are non-Christians, you write down these three things to do. First of all, you are to identify yourself with the sins of your friends. Identify self with the sins of your friends. It will do you no good to go back to your friends and just say, in effect, um, oh, wow, well, you know, I want to tell you all about how to live the Christian life. Because they'll say, well, boy, I know. Man, you, you don't talk to me about the Christian life. I know what you've done. First of all, you've got to go back and say, fellas, I want to, I want to tell you something. I've been a phony for a long, long time. I've called myself a Christian and lived in all this garbagey life. I want to tell you something. I have never fully ever given my life to God, but I did it. Just one day ago, I did it. And from this point on, I want to live for Jesus Christ. And I want to apologize to you. I want to say I'm sorry for calling myself a Christian when I never was. Number one, you've set yourself up now. And then from that point on, it won't be, you, they won't think that you're just trying to pull some wool over their eyes. They'll know that there must have been a change in your life. And they'll be watching you from now on to see if your money's where your mouth is, see. So identify yourself with the sins of your friends. Number two, you are to pray for your friends. You are to begin specific, intensive prayer for your friends. And you are to pray two ways. Number one, you're going to have to pray that God will begin to show through your life to your friends Christ. And secondly, you're going to have to pray for a chance to make the gospel clear to your friends. In other words, you are praying for a chance to witness, 
And then you are to pray that God will give you a time when you can clarify your friend's stand. Clarify friend's stand with Christ. Now this will take time. It'll take a small amount of time. But, uh, you know, don't expect it to be done all at once, possibly. Maybe your friends have never really ever seen any Christianity. And what you may need to do is bring them into, uh, you know, a, a Garpo meeting or something like that where they really see something real. Give them a chance to understand first. But when, when you feel like your friend has really understood the gospel, then give them a chance to decide for Christ. Give them a chance to choose. And then, this is what I call identification with Christ. Identify with Christ. And this is the way to purify your friendships. Having given your friend whether it's a fellow or a girl, a chance to decide for Jesus. You are to wait and see what happens. If they say, well, yeah, I see what you're talking about, but that's not my bag. I realize what you're saying. I fully understand. I see your life has been different. I'm very impressed, but I don't want to be a Christian. I, you know, I, I like you and all that. See, and, you know, it's great. Let's go and do all these other things again. But I don't want to have, I don't want to become a Christian. We'll just stay friends the way we are, see. Right here, my friend, you're faced with a choice, and it is this. You will either identify with Jesus and say goodbye to that friend, or you will identify with your friend and deny Jesus. And I'll tell you why. This is what you are to say to this friend. Only, by the way, when he's had light, when he actually understands and has rejected, you are to say to him this. By rejecting Jesus as the Lord of your life, you have also rejected me because he is boss of mine. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave. I care about you, I love you, but I can't stay with you. I can't be your friend. In the sense, I can't, I can't stick with you when you, when you, by your life, hurt the one I love most of all in life. Now, you can see this. If a guy really loved a girl, and he cared about this girl intensely, and another guy came up to him and said, Hey, man, you're really my friend. But boy, that slut, she's a prostitute. See, if this guy loved this girl better than anybody else he'd ever loved, what would he do? Would he say, oh, well, uh, you're my good buddy, right? See, he'd say, look, if you want to say that about the one I love most, I can't be your friend anymore. Now, I'm open if, if you're willing to... She's not like that at all. If you're willing to change your opinions of her. And when we're talking about Jesus, if you're willing to, to, to see him as he is and to follow him as he is, then, then I'm always here. If you need a friend, I'll be here. But I can't stick with you. I can't be close to you because we've got nothing in common in our lives. Two different masters. Now, that's the way it is. By rejecting me, by rejecting Jesus as a center of your life, you've also rejected me because he's the center of my life. By rejecting him as your Lord, you've also rejected me because he's my Lord. That's the way to purify your friendships. Now, this will be hard because... But you'll find something, a lot of times we keep our friends not really for what we can do to give to them. We don't really love them. We say, yes, oh yeah, they're my friends and I love them. We don't really. A lot of times our friends are just like mirrors, see? And when we look at our friends, we see ourselves in them. And we keep them near to us so that they can say good things about us. That's not love. True love is concerned about the other person and has gone to give, not what he can get out of his friend. And girls, you listen especially. Sometimes you, you in, in thinking about, you know, witnessing a Christian, you'll keep a boyfriend, an unsaved boyfriend, close to you, witnessing to him, and you'll be, you'll be thinking in terms of, well, I, I really care about him for Christ. But a lot of times you've got to really watch your motives because sometimes you keep that person there for what they say about, oh, well, you're really a wonderful girl, man. I really appreciate that, see. And it's a mirror. I see how wonderful I am in this person. And you must make this choice. You've got to identify with Jesus. If it comes to a choice of loyalties, it must be Jesus. If not, you fall into the category of the people pleasers. And it's incompatible with salvation. There's a sheet here called Counterfeit Conversion, and in it it says... Now, the people pleasers, it's, uh, it's our third tract in the counterfeit conversion series. Read it through, and that'll, when you finish that, you're not going to go along with the crowd. Because Jesus said, 
Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are those testify of me. I receive not honor of man. How can you believe that seek the honor that comes one from another, not that comes from God alone? That's friends. Now in dating is the next deal. Uh, maybe some of you have been messed up in your date lives and you need to get right. Uh, there is a pink sheet down here called Dreams and Flames, and at the back of it, there's a complete set of things which you're to go through. First, you present your body, piece by piece to God. God, take my mind. I never want to think these filthy thoughts again. God, take my eyes. I never want to look again at the stuff I've been looking at. Take my lips. You know, Jesus was betrayed by a kiss. Don't you do the same thing. Take my ears. Take my hands. You give every piece of your body to God. You present your body to God. And you go through the sheet. It'll show you how to... Uh, you memorize scriptures to clean your mind up and all these things will show you how to pray and fast if you have real problems in this getting involved with God but as far as getting right with the other person number one you first and foremost must be willing to say goodbye forever if need be to the person that you've been messed up with and that is going to be the most difficult decision in all your life especially if you spend an awful lot of time with them let me read to you a letter that a girl wrote in San Francisco and this, this girl had been going with a, a married fellow for quite a long time. And it was that one of the hardest things she had ever done in life. She said, and, but this is a confession and restitution letter. I've spoken to you before about my searching to discover who I am and why. I've also tried to tell you about my search for God. There's something very beautiful and most important, something very real in faith, and I must pursue it alone. I've known for some time now I should end our relationship, but my selfishness has caused me to hold on to you, and both of us have suffered. Please forgive me for any, un any unhappiness I've caused you, and please understand I must ask you never to see me again. Now, this is a letter. You have your work and your own life to straighten out, and I've been interfering with both. I have my faith which I must pursue, and I must do this alone. Please forgive me, and for both our sakes, don't even try to call me again. It is better that things are ended now before more pain and suffering is caused. I'm sincerely sorry. This is best for both of us, and again I beg you, don't ever try to contact me. She's really making sure that that line doesn't go up. You're a fine, wonderful person. I pray you'll find true peace and happiness. I don't really expect to un you to understand fully why I'm doing this, but believe me, I've taken a great deal of time to reach this decision. I know it's something that must be done. Please forgive me, and then she signs, God bless you and finds you and then she signs the name see? and uh, so I would suggest if you're going to have to break up with a person write a letter try not to do it in person I'll tell you why if you do it in person you're going you're gonna to get all messed up again because you're going to get all emotionally involved in saying goodbye and by the time you finish you'll be right back in the old problem again it, it's far simpler believe me to write a letter now you don't have to write a big long letter but let me suggest to you the basic format of a confession and restitution letter and you, all you have to do is write these three things uh, you put the name up here um, God has convicted me of something I've been doing against you and these are all in these blue this green sheet so don't worry about running them down I have been wrong in being and name the basic sin I know I've wronged you in this and I want to ask you will you forgive me Goodbye. See? Oh, well, <laughs> you signed the end. The letter. Now, for a dating letter, there are two important things you must put in to this format. And you don't have to name, you don't have to say for, for peck, petting and necking with you and going all the way with you and this and that and, and name all that garbage. You don't have to, they, he, he or she knows perfectly well what it was all about. What you do have to say is this. One, for if you were, if you were, claiming to be a Christian and you had a, some kind of Christian profession, you must say, for not being an example of a Christian guy or a Christian girl. See that, darling? They'll get the message. This will also protect you legally, by the way, with a letter, see. Not being an example of a Christian guy girl. Or if you were not a Christian when you got all messed up, put for not setting you a decent standard, for not caring about you enough to keep you, or, you know, something like that. You see what I mean? Use that kind of thing. And then insert into the letter, I, uh, for the sake 
of both of our lives, then for God's sake, I must say, please don't ever try to see me again or contact me again and stress it. Boom. And then mail that letter, you dudes, mail it. It's going to be the hardest thing in the world to... Now, if the person's living right next door to you or something, you still can write a letter. You can just give a note to pass on. But uh, wherever possible, try not to, to see the person in person, even if you have to do a phone call and hang up at the end of the thing or something. But, you know, try not to see the person in person. And... Um, then, of course, if you're a Christian couple and say you're engaged in that, you, you're going to, and you've been messed up in this thing, then you had apologized to each other, and from this point on, you had a pledge to, to put into practice New Testament dating. Instead of going out simply as preludes and necking and parking sessions, the fellow must go out to see how he can lead his girl closer to Christ. Now, there are, there are young people in this building who are doing New Testament dating now. And I've, I've seen you live, I'm keeping an eye on you. And uh, it's very exciting. Once you do this, by the way, the signs which I've listed under Bartholomew of an of impure heart, a dirty heart, will clean out and you'll find power and vivacity in your Christian life. you really turn on. And the girl is to go out to see how she can inspire the boy she loves to come closer to Jesus. Now that's your purpose in dating. This is your whole thing. Before God, you guys are the... Determine how can I lead this girl closer to Christ? And if you do not do that in every one of your dates, you have failed as a Christian and as a leader. And you girls, you are to go out to inspire your guy to come closer to Christ. And if you do anything that drags him down or allow him to do anything that drags you down, you have lost your inspiration. And you may lose him too, as well as your touch with God. So there it is. From that point on, you are to use that as your dating purpose. And I promise you the most exciting date life you've ever experienced. This whole group could do New Testament dating and all their dating relationships. You'd see a turned-on generation. You know what happens when you do this in school? When a couple are dating in Christ in school? Everybody's mind is blown because they see a fantastically, radiantly happy couple in love with Christ, in love with the world, loving everybody. And man, you can't bump into that without it blowing your mind. And I... This is what I'm talking about. I believe the power of the date life harnessed for God is part of God's spiritual revolution. That's where it's at. Nobody else is going to give you a spiritual example in the world. Only if you're Christian, young people can stand up and give an example of purity, a radiant purity for God. Can you ever hope to change your will? And dating is really where it's happening. Now, stealing and cheating. These are rotten ones, man. If God puts his finger on you here, and God is good at laying the finger on you, if God puts his finger on you and you, you have a funny feeling that you know you, the teacher suspects you of cheating or something like this, then I would go to that teacher and say to him, look, I want to tell you something. Something happened to me over the weekend. For a long time, I've just been cheating in all your classes. See? But from this point on, even if I fail every one of these classes, I want to at least try to be honest. And I just thought I'd let you know that, see. And uh, if you fail me on the things, that's what I deserve, I guess, see. But to tell them honestly. And again, this little sheet will show you how to get the right time and stuff like this and exactly what to say. Uh, stealing. If you've stolen some stuff from some dude, give it back. See? That's the... Now, can you imagine the mind-blowing thing that happens when people who've come to camps just like this go back and start getting things right all over the place? You talk about revival. Somebody comes up and here's this dude and he gives him something. He says, wow, what's that? And he says, well, I've become a Christian and I just thought I'd give this back. I stole it off you. And I says, wow, you know. And then it really shakes somebody up because nobody expects you to give something back you've stolen. You go into stores and you snitch stuff. I know one girl... She was horribly convicted. She'd been stealing stuff out of this little dime store for a, not for, even for herself, but for her little uh, brothers and sisters in there. And, and I said, how much do you think you've stolen? She said, oh, about $10 worth of stuff. And uh, she said, I don't even have any money to pay back. I said, well, uh, I bet the Lord can provide you $10. Reached in my pocket and I just happened to have $10. And I gave it to her and I said, this is, this is to use this to pay for that. And she said, this is for me. I'm borrowing this. She went back to the guy and, uh, and she told him, she said, I want to I tell you something. I've been stealing stuff out of your store for about three years. 
and I've stolen about ten dollars worth of stuff and she said here's ten dollars to, to pay it back see and uh, it was hard for her to do it but I, I, I told her I'd be praying for her when she went down we set a time and by the way if any of you want to do this set up a time with a Christian friend I'm gonna have to apologize man so I want 50 people praying for me at 11 o'clock see and uh, go in and then pay it back and, and the weirdest thing happened she wrote to me a week later and she sent twenty dollars she said the moment I paid that I was so happy I was singing all over the place and she said I got a new babysitting job and they paid me double the money and she said I got twenty five dollars so she says I'm here's ten dollars your ten dollars back plus another ten dollars to put into the ministry and uh, this is powerful you've got no idea what happens when people apologize Jim Voss went back after stealing thousands and thousands of dollars of electronic stuff and he went back to all the guys he stole it from and he said I've just become a Christian and I want to tell you I've stole ten thousand dollars worth of electronic equipment from you and he said I don't have now you say well boy I don't have that kind of money man to pay that back it's better isn't it to have an honest debt that God can work with you and provide miracles to pay off than an accusing past and, and Jim Voss did this and some of the dudes said man I've never seen anything like this in all my life you've, you're forgiven man just leave you know and uh, he was willing to sell everything he had his house his furniture his car today Jim Voss heads a tremendous rescue mission in New York for juvenile delinquent kids and God has blessed that man over and over again abundantly now you see if you do what God asks you to do it's his problem to provide the money it's not yours see you can say, Father, I don't have all this money, man, but I, I, I know you're talking to me to get it right. So I'll apologize to the person. I'll make plans, pay it off even if it's 50 cents a week or something, you know. If that's all I got, that's all I can pay, then I'll, you know, see the person and make that set up. So then, okay, there it is. That's stealing and cheating. And then there are things like gossip and envy and jealousy. And uh, you've gone around, see, and you've chopped people down. You've been really bitter, man, and you've been envious about people, and you've really cut them up to pieces. And now you've got to apologize, and you've also got to restore. Now, how do you restore when you've chopped down somebody? And the, the, what you do is, first of all, you go and ask forgiveness. Now, I want to stress something here. In this green sheet, you'll see name the basic sin. Name the basic sin. And if you have been gossiping, gossiping is not the basic sin. You ask yourself, why did I gossip about this person? And when you've got no more answers except one single word, then you know that's the basic sin. Keep asking why, and then you'll come to maybe envy. See, ooh, and maybe pride. So when you get this basic sin, go and apologize for that, not for the results of it. Now, you can never ask forgiveness for the results of your sin because you simply can't undo the results of sin. Do you see what I mean? Once you've done something wrong, it has been done. You can't undo that. You can try to pay it back. But you can only ask forgiveness for the sin itself. Now, have you ever heard this thing? You've, you've gone and chopped somebody down. You some, said something real nasty about them, called them a fink or something, behind their back. And you don't know whether or not they know that you said that they were a fink. But you've told about 50 people that they were a fink, see? And you know who these 50 people are and you think, oh, good night, I can't go around, I, you know, they've all passed out on, I can't, I can't talk to all of them, I, I don't know where they've gone. And you know you have to go to this person that you call to think and apologize. But you don't know whether or not they know. And you don't want to go there and say, hey, I'm sorry I called you think, and they say, what? <laughs> you did, see? And yet on the other hand, you don't want to leave it a chance. Now, what do you do? Well, look, if you say, uh, you know, God has convicted me of something I've been doing against you, and I've been talking behind your back. That's not the sin, my friend. That's not the sin. That's the results of it. They'll say, oh, what did you say? You know, and you, they let, you leave them worse than, when you've, than before you went. And they're saying, oh, wow, man. See? I don't know you're doing thinky things like that, see? But what you are to do is to say, I'm sorry I've been envious of you. And if they get it back through the grapevine, he called you Fink, they'll say, well, I understand, because he was envious of me. See that? When you name the basic sin, you won't ever have any problems on that the particular deal. Okay? And then the second thing you ought to do is to go around building up that other person's reputation. You ought to think of a bunch of good things that you can do for them and a bunch of nice things you can say to other people for them. Build up their reputation again 
Where you've damaged it, build it up. Next time you, you, uh, you're talking to somebody about somebody, think of something nice you can say about him. You may have to think hard sometimes, but still think. Here's a real big hang-up, bitterness. Bitterness to family, especially. Now, boy, all kinds of things happen when your parents hurt you and do real rotten things and you never forgive them. See, and, and boy, this really wipes you out. But you cannot afford to be bitter. If you've come and you've said, Jesus, I want to be a follower of you, then you are to be a learner of Jesus. See, and Jesus says something to you, and it's this. How many of you have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Let me see your hands, please. Good. You believe God answers prayer? Keep your hand up. Okay, I'm just going to say a little part of this prayer. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. How many people prayed that prayer again? <laughs> you believe God answers prayer. Oh God, forgive me. Just like I forgive him. Oh, never gonna forgive him. <laughs> well, I got news for you, baby. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, I am not saying that you are to feel wonderful next time your parents do something thinky to you. Because there'd be something wrong with you if somebody comes up and goes, slap, 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 and you go, oh, that's wonderful, do it again. I'm a Christian now. So something wrong with you there. This blue sheet called Runaway will show you the proper way to take the proper attitude in, uh, in your home. But basically... Basically, forgiving your parents does not mean not feeling hurt. Do you think Jesus felt wonderful when they nailed him to the cross and spat at him, tore his beard out and cursed him and mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? You know, if I'd have been Jesus, I think I would have said, you dirty, rotten little worm. Yeah, I think I would have, see? And knowing that all the legions of, of the angels were there, poised, drawn swords, the word from the master. I would have said, all right, legions four, five, and six, all systems go. <laughs> see? I've taken about all I can stand from this humanity, see? But you know what Jesus said? You know what Jesus said, bleeding and dying there, suffering more pain, more humiliation, more hurt than any single one of you in this building ever have or ever will suffer. He said, Father, forgive them, and so must you. Now, some of you have been in real rotten situations, and you've had people have hurt you deeply, but you read again and again the story of the cross. Read it again and again until it burns into your soul, until you see compared to your suffering. Jesus' sufferings are incredible. And you say, Father, if Jesus, your son, could do this, then your second son here or your second daughter will do it too for your sake. I will forgive. I will forgive. I will not be able to handle the hurt that comes to me, but I'll, I'll call on your name. I'll ask you to help me. And I will choose, choose, choose my parents' good, despite what they've done. When the Bible says God so loved the world, it doesn't mean God felt groovy about the world. It means God's heart was broken over the world, but he put his hurt feelings aside, and he unselfishly chose the highest good of his world, and so must you. Now let me show you how to get right with parents. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit wider so that you can uh, apply it to other people in terms of, of bitterness. First of all, I want you to do something when you come back. I want you to write letters of thanks, write letters of gratitude, because your problem of bitterness means that you've never been grateful, see? If you've been bitter, you haven't been grateful. Write letters of thanks to everybody, every Christian who's helped you. See that? To every Christian who's helped you. To, to Christians that have really been a help to you. Now, when I write this, I write in fear and trembling. Don't write me five million letters and ask for an answer, please. If I've helped you, please don't all write to me. Write, 
write to somebody, write to Tony, write to, see? But to Christians who have helped you. Now, why do I say this? Why do I say that? Because when you get bitter, you've, you've forgotten how to be grateful. So, first of all, if you learn to say thank you, it will make it easier for you to forgive and show gratitude in future. So, do that. Then, secondly, I want you to sit down and figure out where you can repay good for evil. And boy, I have a little section in the manual called How to Kill Your Enemies. See? And, and the way it is, the way God kills his enemies is to turn them into friends. And it's a brilliant idea, see? If I, if I have an enemy here and I'm fighting them, finally, and I get mad with him and I punch him back, then there's two enemies, him and me. But if I love him and every time he does something thinking to him, I do something good back, and he switches over and he becomes a friend, then I've killed my enemy. See that? He's not there anymore. Repay good for evil. Figure out how you can do that. The thinkier things that a person does to you, figure out just how overwhelmingly good you can be back. And you watch, you watch what happens. The devil can't stand that, neither can sinners. It, it tears them into shreds because they, do, they, they expect you to hit back, see, and see? They expect you to go, aha, you know, and slash right back there. But you do something nice in return. And what can you do with somebody every time you hit him? He helps you. You, Jesus, you talk about revolution, my friend. Which is easiest to do? Slap somebody back when they slap you or to turn back the other cheek? That's revolution. That's why I said that the revolution of Jesus are deeper than any other revolution that's ever existed. Totally transformed. I'll tell you what happened. Did I, tell, I told some of you the story of that schoolmaster. He, he took a new class and this class was, you know, the, the, there's one little monster in this class whose dad was the grocer. And the grocer was about six foot five and weighed about 350 pounds and was a wrestler and a boxer and everything else. And the teacher, this grocer would always say to every new teacher, now my little boy is a good boy, so don't you ever hit him. And if I ever hear that, it, that you hit him, you be, if any of you take any brutality out on my boy, I'll come and really take care of you. So all the teachers used to be terrified, not of this little dude, but of the father. And the dude would tear this, the whole class to pieces. And this, this teacher was a Christian teacher. And he thought, well, he said to the man, well, I'll only discipline your boy if he deserves it. And he said, well, just remember, he's a good boy. And don't you ever, see? And this little kid was tearing up. He told the kid, listen, I want you to, to understand, if you mess up, I'm going to whack you. And the kid messed up. Yeah, go ahead, you want. My dad, you watch what my dad will do if you. And he took him out and whacked the pants off him. And the kid howled and screamed. It was the best thing that ever happened to him in his life. And he went back and he told his dad, he hit me, hit me. And boy, that grocer got steaming mad. He came back and he waited for the school teacher. The school teacher was a little guy with glasses. <laughs> and and the, the, the big old grocer picked him up, smashed him in the mouth, kicked him in the face and jumped on him, you know, and just really beat him up into bits. Just left him lying unconscious. And went away and said, don't teach you a lesson, man. I told you not to touch my boy. Went back to his grocery store. And the wife came, she found her husband, bandaged him up, bathed him, and the boy was sitting there with a big swollen face and that. And then later on in the afternoon, they hadn't, couldn't go to school, of course, they had to go down and get the groceries. And there was two stores in town. One was a long, long way away, and the one that was closest was the grocery store this guy went to, see. And he used to usually buy them off this grocer. And boy, this teacher's thinking, well, man, I'm going to go to the other grocery store. And he's, he's on his way down the other end of town, and the Lord stopped him, and he said, where would you have gone if he hadn't hit you? But, he said, oh, no, I can't. He said, where would you have gone if he hadn't hit you? He said, I would have gone to his store. And he said, go. So this grocer, you know, starts walking down towards the store. You know, and all, all, the, all the people, all the, he had this big bag, and all the people thought, oh, he's got a gun, he's going to shoot the dude, you know. And they heard about this, so they all stand around sort of looking in windows, you know, like this, you know, watching, <laughs> watching this grocer go past. And this little grocer came walking into the store, you know, with his bag. And then he went around and he took all loaves of bread off and the different things and he put them and he brought them up the counter. Boy, that grocer was looking there wondering what in the world could. And he put down the things and he said, uh, how much is that, George? And uh, boy, that grocer couldn't believe it. And he was looking for some kind of trick and the guy gave him the money and the grocer threw him the change. See, and he, he was wondering, he's going to say anything? And the, and the guy said, thank you, George. And he tried to smile through his broken teeth and he walked out. But this little, this, this little teacher said, as he walked out the door, suddenly he grew 20 foot tall. 
And God spoke to him and he said, more than conqueror. More than conqueror. And that's Jesus. More than conqueror. So figure out how you can repay good for evil. And then, here's going to be the hardest one. You are to confess your bitterness both to God, which the way you'll do this is to and take this blue sheet, go over the back, and you'll see a list of things where parents have done to hurt you. And you, you can write all these things down that your parents have done or whoever has hurt you. Put them all down and then put a second list of all the things you've done to hurt your parents. Now, most people have a very good memory when it comes to the top part. They can remember all the rotten things their parents done. But they have a very poor memory when it comes to the second one. They can't imagine what they might have done to hurt their parents. So to help you, I've put a little reminder, suggestion list here on the bottom. And what you ought to do is to go through this and then, and then take your list and say, Dear God, please forgive me for this. You say, well, my parents are 90% wrong. And then I only get 10% right. Well, then you ask God's forgiveness for your 10%, because as far as God's concerned, 10% wrong is all wrong. And you'd be willing to forgive your parents when you've got through this, boy, and God will do a good job on you if you ask him. You'll find it a little easier to forgive them for this. You say, how can I tell if I forgive my parents? Let me tell you how you can tell. You are to go to your parents when you're finished asking God's forgiveness and say, God, I want to be willing to forgive my parents and you are to go to your parents and you are to apologize for the things you've done wrong. You are to take the basic thing, whatever it is. I'm sorry, Dad, I've been rebellious. I've been bitter. I've been whatever it is. I'm sorry, I've been, I've been uh, lazy. I just sat around doing nothing. I should have helped. I should have been a bit... You, know, you tell them, the basic sin. And I know I've hurt you in this. God has convicted me. I just come back from a camp and I've been all chopped up into pieces in a dentist session. And I know I've wronged you in this and I've, made a, you know, I've hurt God and I've hurt you too. And I want to ask you, will you forgive me? Now, your, your parents may. If they don't, that's their problem, not yours. But you go with a humble attitude. Don't go like this, all right? All right, Mom? Here I am. <laughs> no? I've been wrong. So have you. <laughs> now that's a Fink's trick. And don't go this. This is also thinking. Um, please forgive me if I've wronged you. And let me tell you what that actually says. Please forgive me if I've wronged you. It, it sounds like it's a real good apology and stuff like this, see? What it actually says, if my personality, which I'm not responsible for, has wronged you, there must be something wrong with your ability to get along with others. <laughs> but I'll be big-hearted about this and assume that maybe it is my fault, which I'm not fully convinced it is, and ask you to forgive me if you still think I'm wrong, that is. See? Now, that is not forgiveness. And it's not humility. It still shows that your pride hasn't been broken and your will hasn't been conquered, and you might as well not even go to apologize if you go in that spirit. You are to show true humility and you are to name the sin. Don't just go to your parents and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm sorry. They'll say, well, I'm sorry too. <laughs> so you name it, name it, say that word. I'm sorry I've been lazy, I've been bitter, I've been rebellious, I've been stubborn, I've been disobedient, I've told you lies. Boom, tell them, see? And you get finished with that, you just may have revival in your home. Your parents just may break down and, and share with you the fact that they've done some dumb things too. But you don't have to say, okay, I've said my piece, now how about yours? <laughs> you're to go, even if your parents still say, well, I don't care what in the world you say, I'm still not interested, you're to go anyway. And I'll tell you why you're to go. I had some kids come to me and they said, Winky, I don't care what you say, you can preach all night in bitterness, and I see, I'm supposed to, I know I'm supposed to be Christian, but I, I'm just, I can't keep that command. And I want to tell you something, I don't care what you say, I'm never going to forgive my parents. They've hurt me too much, they've been the worst possible people, I hate them and I'm never ever going to forgive them. And I say, well, that's too bad because in 10 years you're going to be just like them. And you say, why? Because there is a law in the Bible and it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And you, this is why God says forgive. It's for your sake as well as for his and as well as for others. If you think about somebody who has hurt you, 
dramatizes a little, see? This person has hurt you, and you think about this, and you, you start to dwell on all their faults and their failures and all the rotten things they've done, and you think about it, as you begin to concentrate on all the rotten things they've done, you set into motion that law. Until finally, there's two of you. And you justify yourself because you're not doing the same things they're doing, but you've got exactly the same attitude, exactly the same spirit, and a large number of times you wind up doing exactly the same things. You know how many times I've had people stand before me and say, boy, my dad is, is, was a drunk, he was an alcoholic, he ran around with women, he was a rat, see? And here I'm looking at this guy, and he's drunk, and he's been running around with women, and he's a rat. And he's become exactly what he hated in his dad, because he wouldn't forgive. So that's why. A man came up to John Wesley and he said, Sir, I never forgive. And Wesley said, Then, Sir, I hope you never sin. So there it is, friends. And I promise you something, if you're willing to put into practice that, um, that willingness to apologize, and then live from that time on as a true Christian should be in your home. And I want to tell you something else. If you can prove your Christianity in your home, you'll make it anywhere in the world, on any mission field, in any place, at any time. Because the hardest place to be a Christian is at home. And you know what, you know what I want you to do when you get home? I'm going to tell you something very spiritual. After you've done that, I want you to go and wash the dishes, unless you've got an automatic dishwasher. Make your bed and clean your room up and do something for your parents without them even asking you. And then maybe they'll be convinced that you're a Christian. One final little thing. We mentioned very, very briefly the power of rock. If you have some hotlines to hell in your room and you've been grooving on rock instead of Jesus, and I'll tell you how you can do this. You say, I'm a Christian, I just love listening to rock for entertainment. Let me ask you a question. When you have a problem, do you pray or do you put on a record? And if the answer is number two, I'd much rather listen to a record than pray, then I want you to do something. I want, to take your rock, I want you to take your rock records and smash them. Smash all of them. And I don't want you to do it secretly. I want you to bring them up in church, and I want you to take the altar, and I want you to take the whole set of them and smash the best ones first. I was at a camp last, just uh, the Southern California camps, and a man came up to me, and I, we had a rock seminar, and I challenged him to have a total destroy experience. And uh, he said, you don't really mean that, uh, did you? And I said, yes. And he, said, yeah. and he said, well, I'm a Christian. I just love listening to it. And I said, now I asked him that question. I said, who do you choose most, Steppenwolf or the Savior? And I said, let me tell you what your God is. Your God is the person or the thing you most think of, the thing you most like to do, the thing your thoughts send around, the, thought, the thing your thoughts turn back to when you've got nothing better to do. That's your God, my friend. Now let me ask you a question. Is it Steppenwolf or is it Jesus? <laughs> and I said, don't call yourself a Christian until you can say it's Jesus in his kingdom. And he said, you know, you might be right at that. He said, I'm a CA president. And I said, well, so what? I've heard a lot of unsaved CA presidents and a lot of unsaved preachers. I said, go back to your church, take your records and smash them. Do it. And he said, you mean in front of everybody? I said, yeah. And then tell them why you did it. And he said, you know, I've really had a problem. I used to really, I've, I've always cursed and swore, and I've, I've been to the altar hundreds of times and I prayed for them being able to get rid of it. And I said, I want to tell someone, when you smash your records, that desire will disappear. Just like some of the other habits other guys have had, smoking or little sins that you can't give up and you've tried a hundred times. It's because your God hasn't gone yet, the main one, a hidden buried one like that. And, and then while we're at camp, a guy came up to us and he said, hey, hey, come outside and have a, some pot with me. And uh, he said, uh, uh, he came back to me, he said, what should I do? This guy wants me to go smoke, smoke some pot with him. And I said, you tell him what you're going to do this Sunday. So he went up and he said to this guy, well, I'm sick and tired of the whole thing. I'm going to smash all my records. I'm going to live for Jesus. And the guy said, huh? And I was talking to a bunch of kids in this camp. And then this boy came up to me with big eyes. And he said, wow, wow, I want you to come and talk with this fellow. So we went down to the swimming pool. We sat down by the swimming pool. And I said, what's his story? And the guy said, oh, look what he's got. He gave his life to Christ. The boy went back and it, he told me, I, I said, I'll be praying for you at six o'clock when you stand up there, baby. And he took all his records with him, put them over the altar, smash, smash, smash. 
He asked the pastor, I got five minutes, I went five minutes at time. Smash, smash, and he broke them all up, and then he said, I suppose you wonder what I've been And he told them, I've been a phony all my life. I stood up here, tried to lead you, I haven't even given you an example of what a real Christian's like. From this point on, I want to live for God. There was a boy sitting there who was unsaved and really blew his mind. And he wrote me a letter and he said, you know, something wild has happened. He says, I really have a desire to see a whole church catch fire for God now. And he said, another thing, you know that cursing and swearing I told you about? He said, well, the moment I broke my records, there was no sweat, it left, just like that. You know what they did in the old days? When they came in with the books of sorcery and witchcraft, they made a huge public bonfire and burned them as a testimony to the city. You do that. You do that. Do that with the garbage. Drag out all the pornographic garbage you had. Burn it all. You see what happens. All right, there you have it. Winky Prattney talking about a revolution through restitution. This is a powerful message. It can change your life. If you want to be someone who has power with God, you've got to live clean and holy, and this is a, a good step towards helping you to do that. We wanted to mention um, a couple things that he mentioned on the, on the tape. Uh, he mentioned some pieces of paper he was talking about. Those, are, uh, those can be found for a free download on the Ministry of Help's website, moh.org. Go to moh.org. Uh, click on the uh, on the top where it says discipleship training materials, and you can look for uh, these these tracks. One is called Spiritual Checkup. One is called Counterfeit Conversion. I believe Counterfeit Conversion comes in three parts, so you might have to download all three. Um, he did one called Runaway, and then one called Hurt and Bitterness. If you if you uh, were struck by those when you heard him mention those, then go and download those for free. And then the manual that he talked about in there was a manual that we used to use called Youth Aflame, and you can get that at the MOH uh, website also by clicking on Books and just look for Youth Aflame. All right, well, that's it for this week. I hope you, uh, I hope you were challenged and that God can really move in your life. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. 